Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I'll tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded The wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, and for our sakes who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart, you, O king, were watching, and behold a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed. Together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. In this long chapter, we've already looked at Daniel's peril. In verses 1 through 13. And Daniel's prayer and praise in verses 14 through 23. And now Daniel's prophecy. Which extends from verse 24 to 45. The Lord reveals the dream to Daniel in verses 14 through 23. And then Daniel reveals the dream to Nebuchadnezzar in verses 24 through 29. And the information will include a statue in verses 23 through 33. And a stone. So the image is a statue and a stone in verses 34 through 35. With this information will come... An interpretation in verses 36 through, through 45. So it will go from 
information, interpretation to Daniel's elevation in verses 46 through 49. Now remember what we've already said. Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New Testament. It makes perfect sense to me that people are fascinated by prophecy. A lot of people devote their whole lives to the subject of prophecy. William Scroge said, quote, an interest in prophecy which is merely speculative and sensational comes perilously close to being sinful, unquote. And I think that he's right. You see, there's a healthy way of looking at this prophecy, and there's an unhealthy way of looking at it. The healthy way has to include the prophecy that what it's focusing on and what it's bringing attention to. Prophecy that neglects the attributes of God and the character of God and the work of Christ will have little value. Isaac Newton rightly said, quote, Prophecy is not given to make men prophets, but as a witness to what God has fulfilled, unquote. So prophecy falls into two categories. That which has been fulfilled and that which remains to be fulfilled. In Daniel's prophecy, as we look at the unfolding folding of human history, much of what this dream incorporates is the past to us, but some of it is the future. And so in this section, Daniel will reveal the substance of the dream in verses 24 through 35, and then later on, he's going to give us the significance of the dream in verses 36 through 45. So in this passage, we learn or we reinforce certain biblical truths. We know that there's only one God. He is infinitely great. The God of the Bible is sovereign over kings and kingdoms. This sovereign God who is over kings and kingdoms is providing guidance. He knows the future. He answers prayer. He brings revelation to his servant, the prophet, and then he providentially protects his people. And so we begin with the God who reveals secrets. Look at verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He's the captain of the guard. He is the chief of police. He is the director of the FBI and the CIA and the army all combined. He went and said thus to him, this is Daniel, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation, unquote. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king. That means within his hearing, in his presence, and said the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, 
cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. If you're a guy who, or a gal who underlines, that's the line. There is a God in heaven. And I would even put in the adversative, which is but. I've told you over and over again, I'm thinking about writing a a book called Great Butts of the Bible. (laughs) This would have to be one of those passages, a whole chapter that we could devote to it. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be, again, this is important, what will be in the latter days your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Now, again, as we look at this passage, we must not miss the important fact that Daniel has access to the king's captain and he has access to the king. Now, this may not be all that impressive to you, but Daniel has influence over those who have influence. How does Daniel have influence over those who have influence? This has something to do with what we've already learned, the reputation of Daniel, the integrity of Daniel, the respect that Daniel has cultivated over the years in the king's court. And so be kind to people that God, who through, I'm hoping, years of integrity and faithfulness, God allows them to have have access to the movers and, and the shakers and the candlestick makers, if you will. So Daniel is going to plead, first of all, for the safety and the well-being of the wise men, verse 24. And this becomes important too. Think about what Daniel does. The first thing out of his mouth is protect people. And this is the attitude that Paul exhorts the believers in Philippi to adopt in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, when Paul says, let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others, even in this unique position Instead of Daniel saying, hey, this is, this is our, op- you know what? I can tell the king right up until the time he's getting ready to kill me, but all of these false prophets, all of these psychics, all of these weirdos, you know, the world's really better off without them. But he doesn't do that. He actually cares about them. Why? I'm going to suggest to you that he cares about them because he knows that there's a God in heaven and he knows that they might be open to the reality of this supernatural God who reveals himself. Well, what if they don't believe what I believe or what if they don't care about what I care about? Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, He talks about loving your neighbor and he also talks about loving your enemy, even the people you don't don't agree with and they don't agree with you. Daniel is going to place himself in a position of usefulness even to the unbeliever. But these are pagans. These are demon-worshiping lovers of the occult. They are pagans. And they are demon-loving worshipers of the occult but they're also made in the image of God. 
These are human beings created in the image of God who are going to spend eternity somewhere. And if Daniel has anything to say about it, and if Daniel has any way of interceding for them, he's hoping that they're going to come in contact with the the God of the Bible. And note, Daniel's care, don't destroy the wise men. His care that leads to confidence. I have I will tell the king the interpretation. Now, it's important that you remember the captain of the guard spins the the circumstances. I found a man among the captives of Judah. Now, again, this guy's a, I'm going to suggest to you, he's a bad dude in this sense. When the king, there's a reason why the king orders Arioch to kill all these people. Because he's a killer. He's a person who's used to executing not only the king's orders, but human beings. And so I'm going to suggest to you he's also a person who looks at opportunities to advance himself with the hopes that this good news will bring future favor for him. I want you to note another thing. Daniel doesn't seek to correct Arioch's inflated statement. Why? Because he is going to allow God to get the glory. Now, you have to understand something. This isn't the first time that the God of the Bible is using Abraham and Abraham's offspring to deliver and rescue people. You'll remember that in the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis, he forms a coalition of kings um, who seek to, there's this coalition of kings that seek to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family are taken captive. And so Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, organizes a small Israeli commando team and he goes after these people. He overcomes them. He recovers his own Household and he effects a rescue. Joseph was also used by God to deliver not only his immediate family from the famine, but the whole Egyptian nation because God is going to prepare both Abraham and Joseph to serve in a number of different functions. And who could forget Jonah, the prophet, who is sent by God to postpone judgment on the people of Nineveh. What do all of those people have in common? Abraham and Joseph and Jonah. It's the deliverance isn't just restricted to the people of God. This deliverance is restricted to the unbeliever, for the people who don't identify themselves as the people of God. And of course, how could we exclude the most famous savior and deliverer of them all, the Lord Jesus Christ, who God sends into the world, not to just save Jewish people, but to save Gentile people. Remember, Jesus himself said that the sick don't need a doctor, or excuse me, the well don't need a doctor, the sick need a doctor. It's the people who are broken. It's the people who are hurt. It's the people who are empty. It's the people who need deliverance. 
from the darkness inside of their heart, from the sin that's in their life, from a brutal Satan who has manipulated and used people. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, it says in verse 28. What kind of secrets? Well, remember, Joseph was able to tell the secrets of Pharaoh's dream in Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. You'll remember that the king is at first skeptical in verse 26. Can you really do this? Remember, I've already told you the difference between a cynic and a skeptic. A skeptic is an unbeliever who's willing to change his or her mind based on the facts. A cynic is an unbeliever who's not willing to change their mind, no matter how overwhelming the facts. And so in your life, there are skeptics and cynics. There are skeptics who say, look, If Jesus is real and if the Bible is real and if you really do have access to the supernatural, prove it to me. The cynic doesn't care about proof because they're not prepared to change their mind and they're not prepared to change their heart because facts and evidence and truth is not what they're looking for. This king says, is it true? Is it true what you're saying? Reveal the dream. And once again, we see the king's demand. Reveal the dream and its meaning. Daniel is exposed and expected to submit to the same truth test that he applied to the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the magicians, and the counselors. Daniel doesn't get a different weight of evidence, he's, he's met with the same expectation. And you'll remember the response of those who failed to meet the king's demands. In chapter one of verse 11, it says, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling isn't with flesh in verse 11. In other words, the frauds and the pretenders said what you're asking is impossible. In order to do what you've asked, someone would have to have supernatural access to the spirit world. And Daniel says, there's a God in heaven. Now, this is going to be very, very important because what Daniel is going to do is he's going to contrast and compare the difference between a psychic and a prophet. Because there is a difference. But before we go there, Daniel's claim has to have extraordinary or even impossible. Daniel's claim would have seemed extraordinary and even impossible. So now I want you to think about it. The king who's saying this is going, what you're suggesting isn't possible. All of the people who haven't died up until this point, who still retained some semblance of proximity to the throne, must have crossed their hands and looked at them and said, this can't happen. It's impossible. In verse 27, Daniel declares that no one can satisfy the king's demands without supernatural intervention, Daniel's statement doesn't, again, simply apply to the occultists in the king's court. It applies to himself and his friends. So Daniel freely admits 
that if I'm left to my own devices, if I'm left to my own schemes, if I'm left to my own resources, I have nothing to offer the king. And this is important. Because left to your own resources, you might be able to offer someone friendship and fellowship and relationship. You might be able to offer them encouragement. But you can't offer what's needed the most, a supernatural transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit based on the supernatural work of Jesus. This is why I keep telling you, you can't talk someone into becoming a Christian. Because if you can talk someone into being a Christian, then someone a little more clever than you can talk them out of it. It's going to require a supernatural blanket to be lifted from their heart, from the scales to be lifted from their eyes. That's why Paul in the New Testament prays. He prays that this scale will be lifted, this blanket will be lifted so that people will understand that there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And so Daniel says, look, I don't have anything to give you. But wait, there's good news. There is a God in heaven who can give you something. There's a God in heaven who reveals secret, who reveals the truth from those that it's been concealed from. The Lord God in his kindness and grace and mercy gives Daniel a revelation through a vision. And Daniel explains to the king the difference between the psychic and the prophet. The psychic is going to depend on fraud or misdirection or even the possibility of interaction with demonic spirits in order to aid in the deception. And so there are people who claim to have access to the invisible, to the supernatural. We live in a world that is disgusted by philosophical naturalism. We want so much to believe that there is such a thing as the supernatural, that there is such a thing. There's something beyond this world. There's got to be something beyond this world. And so many people prey on other people's imagination. Is there an invisible world? Yes. Is there supernatural information? Yes. But it's going to come from broadly one of two sources, from God or from demons. According to the Bible, there is a supernatural, invisible world that can be accessed. But the prophet, the prophet of God relies on the God of heaven who reveals secrets. So Daniel isn't pretending to be just another psychic. Just another peddler of the supernatural. Not just another person who speaks with invisible spirits. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of the law. Deuteronomy 29, 29. 
in that amazing verse, the Lord sets the limits and the purposes of God's revelation. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are secret things that only God knows, like the second coming of Jesus. But there are secret things that God has revealed that can be known. Like what? That the earth was made by him. That Adam and Eve were placed in a garden. That sin is a real problem. That you can be saved. That God is going to send Jesus into the world. That a real Jesus is going to leave heaven and come to the earth and live the life that the Bible describes. And that the horror and the rebellion that we have experienced, that there's a solution to it. And so in this instance of Deuteronomy 29, he has revealed through the law in Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it's the business of the children to obey. Now God is going to give the king and Daniel a glimpse into the unfolding of civilization in relationship to God's plan for all of humanity. And so don't despise the secrets that you've already learned. Don't despise the secrets that have already been revealed to you. What secrets are those? Where did you come from? How did you get here? You see, there are people who will devote their lives. There are people that you probably know, and maybe you devoted part of your life to asking and answering the question, where did we come from? Are we the product of evolutionary processes? Were we created in the image of God like the Bible says? Why are we here? There are philosophers who will plunge the depths of knowledge in order to come to an answer to life's most difficult questions, but the Bible reveals the secret of why you're here. It's to glorify God. So what's the secret to Daniel's courage and confidence in the living God? The place of separation from sin is the place of power. The secret of Daniel's courage and confidence is I'm going to separate myself from the things that don't honor God and don't please God. And I want to live a life of honor and pleasing God. And the moment that Daniel decides that he is going to honor and please God, God is going to reciprocate by honoring Daniel, by giving him access to supernatural information. It's interesting to me. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself 
unspotted from the world. The place of separation is the place of power. James, speaking to the New Testament believers, says exactly the same thing that we're learning here in the book of Daniel. Daniel remains separated from sin so that he can be attached to the supernatural God. We have to keep ourselves at a safe distance in this world when they start throwing mud in every direction. Jesus has overcome the world, it says in John 16, 33. Believe by faith like Daniel that God is in control. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What kind of faith is that? It's the faith that we've been born again. We've been begotten by God, by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Son of God who loves us and who died for us. That's the secret of confidence and courage. It's when you can say, not just simply to yourself, but anyone who's interested in listening, God is real. The Bible's true. He changes people's lives. Daniel was careful to concede that only the God of heaven could do such a thing in verse 28. So why does Daniel use that phrase, the God of heaven? Remember we talked about it earlier in our earlier studies. I believe and I'm convinced that he is using the term the God of heaven to contrast the true God from the false gods in the Babylonian pantheon of gods. Why is that important? Because you live in a world where, make no mistake about it, people who even claim to be atheists, they might say, I'm an atheist. They still believe in God. You mean they're lying to you? Well, just make sure. Ask them. You're an atheist. Yes. Tell me the kind of God that you don't believe in. I don't believe in any God or all gods. So you don't believe in the God of the Bible, the one who's omnipotent, omniscient, who knows everything, a self-existent being who created the heavens and the earth, who stretched out the sky. That's the God that you don't believe in. Correct. And you're not God, right? Of course. So have you searched every nook, every cranny of the universe? Have you interviewed every single person? And have you examined all of the evidence that might be present to determine whether or not there is this supernatural being? Well, no. So how can you be sure? I'm not sure. Look, you've already converted to agnosticism. Push them. Push back a little bit. Push back. Ask them about the gods that they actually do believe in. Daniel says the the God of the Bible is the only God capable of doing this thing. And Daniel has no interest whatsoever in promoting himself. 
He doesn't want to bring any honor to himself, any glory to himself. He makes absolutely certain that the king understands that, that it's the God of heaven who reveals mysteries. And in this case, the mystery and meaning of one man's dream. Again, it's helpful to remember Ron Rhodes' definition of a Bible mystery, quote, a truth that cannot be discerned simply by human investigation, but it requires special revelation from God. Why is that important? Because you don't have access to every nook and cranny of the universe. If you are going to actually find out the answer to your most important questions... You need to ask yourself, if, has any of these answers been revealed to anyone? Because that's the claim that Jesus makes. Jesus makes the claim, I came from heaven and my father has revealed to me what you need to know. In verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. The scripture's clear that God knows all things. The Lord knows all things. And for you philosophers or for you thinkers or you people who like logic or reason, the Lord knows all things, both actual and possible. Why is that important? Because there's a false teaching that goes around that God only knows those things which are actual, but not necessarily what is possible. The Bible disputes that in Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 23. The Lord knows all things past, Isaiah 41, 22. Present, Hebrews 4, 13. Future, Isaiah 46, 10. God knows all things. His knowledge cannot increase or decrease. There's nothing that you could say to God where he goes, dude, I didn't know that. And there's no such thing as cosmic Alzheimer's. There is no deity dementia. God doesn't forget. Except for one odd thing that the Bible seems to reiterate over and over again. That he's willing to forget your sin. He's willing in some supernatural way to act as if it didn't happen. And because God knows all things, again, his knowledge can't increase or decrease. And God's understanding is beyond measure, is infinite in capacity, according to Psalm 33, verses 13 through 15. I, why am I telling you all of this stuff? Because what was impossible for the pagans to do was relatively easy for God to do. I want you to pause there for just a moment. I want you to think about that God's ability to both reveal the dream to Daniel and reveal the interpretation to Daniel was easy for God. It was like totally easy. How can I put this to you? You may have said sometime in your life, 
Can God really forgive my sin? Yes. All of it? Uh Uh-huh. He can't do that. Why? It's too hard. The Bible says nothing's impossible with God. This is part of what I'm trying to push you in the direction. That what is hard and difficult for human beings is easy for God. Augustine said, God is an infinite circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. And you should rightly say, what? What did you just say? Whatever you just said, I don't understand it. I know, neither do I. I just like saying it because it sounds so cool. I'll say it again. God is an infinite circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Isn't that a meaningless statement? No. It's a meaningful statement if you are ready to begin to plunge the concept of a self-existent infinite God. And you might say, I still don't understand. And I think the answer is, neither do I. Because the truth is, if I claim to understand something that I don't really understand, I would be lying to you. The Puritan Richard Sibbs said, quote, How should finite comprehend the infinite? We shall apprehend him, but we will not comprehend him. I can say with all honesty, I don't understand everything about God. And the moment a person says to me, I do, I know they're a liar and I'm probably going to dismiss most of what they have to say. But the secret's revealed. Look what it says in verses 29 through 30. As for you, O king, thoughts came into your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. I know when you read that passage, don't you want to think about with visions of sugar plums dancing in your head. But, but that's not part of the point. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> but as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who made known the interpretation to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. I want you to think about this moment of truth. This is the moment of truth. Daniel is opening his mouth. He's making a statement and it's going to fall into one of two categories. It's either going to be true. And what's the other category, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, it's going to be true or false. Daniel either knows or he doesn't know. This is go time, ladies and gentlemen. This is show time. Either he knows or he doesn't. Daniel will reveal to the king what was concealed from the failed court of counselors. Daniel refers to God as he who reveals secrets in verse 29. And he's made known to you the future. He's quick to confess and concede, I don't have anything to do with this. The source of revelation isn't human wisdom. It's, and here's the important part. It isn't just simply godly wisdom. It's God's compassion. Don't overlook it. He did this for you. Look what the text says. For our sakes. For our sakes. What? Yeah. God has done this. This miraculous miracle. He's done it. To spare our lives. 
and that the king would know the thoughts of his heart. So there's two reasons at least. Number one, to save us. Number two, to conceal what's going on inside of your heart. Apparently, God gave King Nebuchadnezzar the dream and Daniel's ability to discern the dream and interpret the dream so that the king will know the future. But remember what we've already said from Deuteronomy 29, 29? It's so that you would know. It's so that you would know. It's so that you could be certain about some things. Can you be certain about all things? No, but you can be certain about some things. And again, Daniel avoids the path of self-exaltation, self-elevation, and he embraces the path of humility in verse 30. Daniel takes no credit for the dream or the interpretation. He takes no credit to superior wisdom in relationship to his peers. And in spite of Daniel's humility, again, remember what we already learned from Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, that Daniel and his friends were 10 times better than their peers. And guess what? I've had the privilege of reading the greatest thinkers who have ever lived from the time, basically, that they've invented writings. And the Bible is 10 times, no, 20 times, no, 100 times better than anything that I've ever read. I love books. But usually once I read one, it's one and done. This is the only book that I've ever read and that I've read over and over and over and over and over again, that I close the book and I say, wow, there's so much I don't know about this book. There's so much to know about this book. Biblical prophecy is testimony that the God of the Bible reveals Secrets. There's a reason why one third of the Bible is prophecy. The God of the Bible reveals secrets, and the content of the king's dream is incorporated, and he talks about what it's going to encompass. What will come to pass after this in verse 29? What's going to take place? in the last days or the latter days. Now, when you see that term, this is an important term that you should write down or you should make a mental note of. When the Bible says the last days, the latter days, the end times, when the Bible makes reference to that, the phrase almost certainly is a reference to the time that leads up to the coming of the Messiah. So now I want you to think about this because the last days and the latter days is always going to be a reference of those days that lead up to the coming of the Messiah in the first coming and those days that lead to the coming of the Messiah in the latter days or the last days. But when the Bible uses that term, it's always very specific concerning the identity and the coming of the Messiah. So for now, we look at the information contained in the dream. Later, we're going to look more closely at the interpretation of the dream. The dream's focus 
is going to relate in large part to what Jesus calls the times of the Gentiles in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. So we look again at the statue and the stone very quickly. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut without hands, which struck the image on the feet of the iron and the clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together. That word is a very idiomatic specific word it means ground to fine powder it's crushed in such a way he goes on and clarifies it so that no trace of them was found you guys know what a rock is and you know what a pebble is and you know what dust is what's smaller and finer than dust that's what this was ground into so that the iron The clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed. They became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Now remember, the book of Daniel is apocalyptic in that it reveals mysteries surrounding the unfolding of human history and the world to come. My friend Ron Rhodes says this. He says, quote, this type of literature is often characterized by visions, exhortations to make ethical and moral decisions or to change as a result of such visions and a pervasive use of symbols and imagery. Daniel is an apocalyptic book, so we're not surprised to find kingdoms described as a statue made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay, unquote. So Daniel is describing the image as awesome. The word is an interesting word because it could mean terrifying, frightening, I mean, when you hear the word awesome, you, you just think of something in our idiomatic culture, we would say, dude, blown away. That was awesome. There is that element. There's an element that something is so inconceivable that it takes your breath away. I suspect that this is something more, that this is something terrifying that this is something so troubling that it literally kept the king up. The image is massive. It's top heavy with the precious elements toward the top, the base elements at the bottom. Whatever this image is and whatever it does, it's frail and fragile at the bottom. The image doesn't topple on its own. Even though you look at it, you see this awesome image and you think to yourself, it's going to come crashing down, but somehow it managed to stay in one piece until this 
stone cut without human hands in verse 34 strikes the image at its most vulnerable point and then it breaks the statue in pieces. It pounds it to powder. But even the precious and the less precious are crushed together. It becomes like chaff. Remember, chaff is a word that you use to describe an empty hull. A chaff is the outside of the grain that contains the precious kernel that's on the inside that has some sort of value. And, a, and, and again, whatever this pulverized thing is, it isn't a storm that takes it away. It's a gentle summer breeze that lifts into the atmosphere and it disappears in such a way that no trace is found in verse 35. The vision of the image gives us, at least initially, no clue to its meaning. You know the meaning because you went to vacation Bible school. <laughs> You've already studied the book of Daniel. You've already read the end of the chapter. So it's hard to put that genie back in the box where I uh, imagine if I said to you, imagine you have no idea what this dream means. Now, again, there might be some of you who go, I have no idea what the dream means. Read ahead. It's okay if you do. I'm not going to, you're not going to get in trouble if you read ahead. But imagine you don't know what this means. It all seems so crazy. The composition of the statue makes it clear that the statue's not stable. The head of gold, the feet of burnt clay and iron, it, it looks like it's a disaster waiting to happen. And it becomes a type and a picture that you already know of humanity, huh? We look like a disaster just waiting to, to happen. Chaff, again, is the empty, worthless Husk left behind where the precious grain is left on the threshing floors. So the stone becomes a mountain. It fills the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, what does it all mean? What could it possibly mean? Hundreds of years earlier, David's son Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. As the rivers of water, it turns whithersoever it wills. The king's heart is in the Lord's hand and like a river, he can turn it to the left and he can turn it to the right. And the king of Babylon is the king. But you're the king or the queen of your own life of your own heart. There's things that you've always believed or there's things that you've never believed. Os Guinness wrote, mystery is beyond human reason, but it's not against reason. Mystery is beyond human reason, but it's not against reason. The Bible never, ever, ever asks you to pretend like you can't think or that you can't reason or that you can't evaluate. The Bible actually even offers an invitation. 
Come, it says. Let us reason together, you and I. The king knew that Daniel's God was the God above all gods. The king asked for evidence. Prove to me that there's such a thing as the supernatural. Prove to me that there is such a thing as the supernatural. And the king is going to get way more than he bargained for. Imagine your friend says, prove to me that God is real. Prove to me that Jesus is real. Prove to me that he can forgive my sin. Prove it to me. How are you going to answer them? Are you going to tell the story of the gospel? Are you going to talk about your own changed life? Are you even going to ask, what will you be willing to accept as evidence that there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets? Daniel's God is able to disclose secrets. The pagan gods proved voiceless and useless. Sometimes the people that we talk with, we have to remind them of the voices that they're listening to and the useless conclusions that they come to. Daniel's God is sovereign over the kings and the nations. This God has access to the deep past. And this God has access to the deep future. This God claims to be guiding and directing human beings throughout all of human history. This God claims to be omniscient, knowing everything. This God claims to be able to answer prayer and give revelation to human beings. And thus God supernaturally and providentially is going to make a way for Daniel to wake up again. And again, and again, until God's through with him. Daniel's God is able to declare the future. In Isaiah 44, 8, it says, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? In Isaiah 45, 21, Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? In verse 45, 21, Isaiah 48, 5, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, Isaiah 48, 5. How is that even possible? How does the God of the Bible know everything in advance? By the way, if you read the Quran, do you know how much prophetic scripture is in the Quran? Zero. If you read the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita, do you know how much prophecy is in them? Zero. The so-called holy books of people throughout time and space, they pretend to know, but they don't know. A.W. Tozer wrote, God's infinitude places him so far above our knowing that a lifetime spent in cultivating the knowledge of him leaves us as much yet to learn as if we had never begun, unquote. I'm feeling you, A.W. He spent a lifetime 
learning the Bible, preaching the Bible, teaching the Bible. A.W. Tozier died the same day as C.S. Lewis and the same day as John F. Kennedy. All three of them died on the exact same day. It's interesting to know the journeys that they made and then the journey that they took. According to the Bible, you've come from somewhere. According to the Bible, you're going somewhere. According to the Bible, it reveals the truth of where we've come from and where we're going. We've looked at the substance of the dream. Now we're going to look at the significance of the dream. But that's for later. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we do commit this time to you, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, we glorify you, that you're the God who not only knows eternity, you inhabit it. There's nothing about it that is unfamiliar to you. The past is as clear as the present and is as clear as the future. There's no hidden darkness. There's no hidden corner yet to be explored. You know everything about everything. And Lord, I pray that we would take great comfort that you're real and that you reveal truth to people and that the truth can be known and that it can be experienced. That the same God who did this for Daniel, this same God can reveal to us the truth about the supernatural, the truth about whether or not Jesus is the Lord, the truth about whether or not you're in the business of forgiving sin, the truth about whether or not he really is the Savior. And so, Lord, again, I pray, I pray, I pray that you will give us wisdom and understanding so that we might be able to speak the truth to anyone who's willing to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.